Good morning, everyone. It's a delight to be here today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really happy. So take up your cross and follow me. Those verses were imprinted on my mind from when I was a young girl, when I was a teenager, taking catechism classes in my church, in the Mennonite church. I clearly remember our pastor, who happened to be an uncle of Chris Dean's here, um, that becoming a Christian is a very hard thing to do. You're going to have to take up your cross every day and be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to sacrifice and um, don't get baptized unless you're ready to do that. Um, I suspect if some of you grew up in the Mennonite tradition, you might have heard that sort of a message too about the difficulties of discipleship. The question I want to look at today is, do we always have to suffer? Does God sometimes call us away from suffering, towards freedom, towards deliverance? And how do we know what road to take? The road to suffering, the hard road, or the easier road to freedom? The Bible has plenty of examples of God calling people away from suffering. One of the most central stories of the Hebrew Bible is, of course, uh, the children of Israel being in Egypt, and God heard the cries as they were slaves in Egypt and sent a rescuer. God sent Moses to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and says, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. God wanted to free them from their sufferings. Our psalm today is also celebrating God's deliverance. David's talking about glad news of deliverance from his misfortunes. The psalm talks repeatedly of God's love and faithfulness, and of course, God wants to deliver us from those hard things, from those enemies, from everything that's making life difficult. And the psalm ends with these words, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. God is the deliverer from suffering. Do not delay, oh my God. It's not, I am poor and needy, and God gives me that heavy road to carry, and I have to do it. No, it's that God delivers me from that heavy road. Now, this isn't just an Old Testament message, just a Hebrew Bible message. Jesus talked about deliverance, too. When Jesus started his public ministry in Nazareth, he went up into the synagogue, he picked up the scroll, and he read, and he chose a scripture passage that he said was his message to the world, which was, I came to deliver people from suffering, to bring release to the captives, and to let the oppressed go free. Jesus came to deliver people from suffering. And people embraced that deliverance. They were happy about that. Did any of the sick people that Jesus approached say to Jesus, no, I would rather not be healed. I think it's better to suffer with leprosy. No, of course not. Given the opportunity, they wanted freedom. Jesus didn't meet the bent-over woman and say, well, this is your cross to bear. No, he healed her instead. He didn't tell the poor, well, 
you just have to accept these hard taxes that the Pharisees are giving you. This is your, your lot in life. No, he confronted the Pharisees and said, you're giving these taxes that are hard to bear. Stop doing that. Yes, Jesus took up his cross for us. He chose to suffer for us. But even Jesus did not always choose to suffer. I think of when he went to preach in his hometown of Nazareth. The crowds were so angry with him after what his message was, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Did Jesus stand at the edge of the cliff and say, this is my cross to bear, into your hands I commend my spirit, and just let them throw him off the cliff? No, Jesus had two legs. He used those legs to go to freedom. He walked right through the crowd and to safety. God delivered him. Another time, the community leaders also wanted to kill Jesus. Did Jesus say, here I am, kill me? This is my cross to bear? No, he used his two legs to leave Jerusalem and go to Galilee to freedom again. You wonder why, if Jesus came to save us from our sins, why he didn't just die right away the first chance he had to die for us. I think there was a time when Jesus knew God's calling me to deliverance, and there was a time when he knew, okay, this time, no. This time, it's not going to be deliverance. And Jesus did take up a cross. And so, Jesus faced those choices. Jesus had to discern what to do. And so we are left with that dilemma for ourselves, too. When is the right time to embrace suffering? And when do we use our legs to walk to freedom? It's truly a difficult challenge. Because human nature is, I always want the easy path. I always want it to be no suffering and clear blue skies and no hard times. You know, we do want that. And Jesus does call us to hard roads, to difficult things, to hard challenges. But being faithful does not mean we have to take every hard road that's out there. This morning I want to share four stories of where I've seen this challenge playing out to help us think about crosses, think about picking them up, and think about putting them down. The first story is about a woman who I'll call Jill. Jill was caring, caring for her husband, Robert, who was living with Alzheimer's. Jill was devoted to her husband and willingly took care of Robert. Over a period of years, of course, with the way Alzheimer's generally goes, the caregiving became more challenging for her. The challenge was physical, helping Rob get dressed in the morning, bathed when he was not capable of doing that himself. But it was also a mental challenge because Rob um, would keep asking the same questions over and over again all day long. He wasn't always rational anymore. And the caregiving was more frequently becoming a challenge of endurance as she was being woken up at night when he would start wandering at night. And she was having to do the work that she was always used to doing uh, with less sleep. Jill and Robert's church was very supportive of her in her caregiving role, occasionally bringing over a meal and people would come and visit Robert. They would tell her what a good job she was doing and how important her work was but it was the long-term nature of this caregiving that was taking a toll on Jill. Every day, she sacrificed her free time, 
her peace of mind, and even her sleep, because she was always worried that he would wake up and wander off. This was such a hard road for Jill, and she wanted to take care of her husband. Over and over, she turned these thoughts over in her head. Is this what I vowed to do, to be with him in sickness and health? Is this what I am called to do right now, is to continue on this road? She wondered, am I being selfish, wanting to have more time to myself? Jill wondered whether denying herself meant she should devote herself to continuing on with this caregiving, plow on even though it was hard. Was this caregiving a cross that God was asking her to carry? Maybe you know people in caregiving situations like this. Eventually, in consultation with her doctor, other family members, and her pastor, Jill made the difficult decision to learn to help Robert move to long-term care. There came a point when Jill said, I can't do this at home anymore. I have to be delivered of this full-time caregiving. Of course, caregiving wasn't over for Jill once Robert went to long-term care, but it took on a more sustainable form because she could get a good night's sleep at night before she would go in the day to visit him. Knowing that Robert was in a secure environment at night, she could sleep in peace. Jill felt that God delivered her from the burden of caregiving that was wearing her down. She was thankful that there were opportunities in her community and a place for her husband to go. That was a road that was open to her, and she took it. And she experienced a measure of freedom from the suffering she had been going through. She knew it was a faithful choice to take the easier path for her to put down that cross of full-time 24-hour caregiving. Second story is a personal one for me. I had a very difficult relationship with a stepmother that joined my family when I was around eight years old. Um, I had a difficult teenage relationship with my stepmother, but even after I moved out of my house, my relationship with my stepmother became more difficult. Um, She was hypercritical, and it was very hard to visit with her because I felt torn down and sort of attacked every time I saw her. I tried and tried to work on that relationship. The verses in the Bible about honoring your father and mother, these seemed to uh, speak to me that I had to keep trying and work very hard at this relationship, even though it was bringing me so much suffering. And sometimes I felt it was my cross to bear, this hard relationship with my stepmother. Now, my other family members had all cut ties with this woman. I was the last one in my family that had anything to do with her. So that placed more of a burden on me that she should have someone. Suffering in that relationship seemed to be the only way forward. I remember an important conversation with my pastor. I had just had another difficult visit with my mother that left me feeling hurting and exhausted. He listened to me tell that story as he had listened before of the difficult relationship I'd had with her that was burdening me. And he asked me whether it might be time to let this relationship go. He talked about the story of the bent over woman, that this relationship had been burdening me for so many years and maybe God didn't want me to carry it for the rest of my life. 
He wondered whether God might be wanting to deliver me from it and that I could make the choice not to see this person because of all the suffering. Wow, well that blew my mind. The conversation gave me courage to take some space for myself and to not see my stepmother for a year, that I'm taking a year. I had space to digest the relationship, I had space to go for counseling, I had a, sp a space just to not dread visits with my stepmother. I felt a new freedom that year that I hadn't had for many years before. I eventually did renew my relationship with my stepmother. I felt it was my duty. I felt I was called to it. But that year away really helped me uh, feel more solid in myself with my relationship with her. Around a decade later, when my stepmother went through some uh, big health crises, I became very involved in her life because I was her power of attorney. Uh, she broke two hips in the space of six months and ended up needing to go also to long-term care. While in long-term care, her difficult behavior, which included paranoia and verbal aggression towards other residents, became such an issue for the home she lived in that she was seen by a geriatric psychiatrist who prescribed medication for her that helped her. The drugs were able to deliver her from her tormenting thoughts and her negative behavior, and suddenly she was getting along with people. She was getting along with me. Our relationship changed dramatically. I didn't dread going to see her anymore because her behavior towards me and everyone was changed. I think of the mental health resources that were available for my mother in the 1970s when she first came into my life. And I thought how different her life would have been if she had access to the medication she needed earlier in her life. I sometimes wonder if she wondered about her own mental health. Did she think, well, this is just the way God made me. This is who I am. Everyone has to deal with me. How might her life have been different if she sought, thought, this constant anxiety and anger I'm feeling is too hard on me. It's too hard on everyone around me. I need help. I need to see a doctor. But she didn't do that until she was forced to when she was in a communal living situation. God can be calling us to deliverance, to an easier road, whether that is taking a break from a very difficult relationship to try to um, marshal your resources and heal a little bit, or whether it's choosing to get help for mental health challenges. The final two stories are wrapped together and intertwined. Uh, now I need the slide that I wanted to show. There it is. This is handy, I can see it right there. One of the most famous Mennonite stories of embracing suffering is of the early Anabaptist Dirk Willems. Uh, some, maybe some of you have seen this famous engraving. I think probably you have, because it's one of the most famous images in the Mennonite uh, history. It's an engraving from the Martyr's Mirror, a big book about martyrs in the 1600s, Anabaptist martyrs, who were killed because of their faith. In the 1500s, Dirk Willems was arrested as an Anabaptist. He was arrested for his faith. He was tried and he was sentenced to death. But it so happened when he was 
locked in this tower waiting for his death to happen, that there was an opportunity to escape from the tower where he was being imprisoned. Dirk did not hesitate. He didn't say, imprisonment is my cross to bear. I should stay here, even though I see a path to escape, I must follow Jesus to the cross. Absolutely not. He saw an easier path. He saw life, and he chose life, and he ran away from the tower. He uses his two legs to go to freedom. Maybe you know the story that his guards started chasing him across the frozen river, and then one of them that ran across the ice behind him fell through. Dirk Willem saw the drowning man and went back to save him. And this artist, Jan Loiken, pictures the moment where Dirk Willems turns and reaches out his hands to the drowning jailer and saves him. By stopping to save him, Dirk came to be rearrested and later was executed. Many Mennonites love this story because it shows Dirk being loving even though the cost was his life. He felt that was what God was calling him to do. He picked up his cross and he denied himself and he followed Jesus. This story is intertwined with another story I want to tell you. I recently edited a book, edited a book about abuse in the church. It's called Resistance, Confronting Violence, Power, and Abuse Within Peace Churches. And it's a collection of essays. A lot of different people wrote these essays. And one of the essays is written by a woman named Kimberly Schmidt. And she talks about her own experience as a battered wife and how she stayed and stayed with her husband, thinking that this was her cross to bear. She had made marriage vows, and now she had to stay, no matter what. She felt she was embracing suffering just like Jesus had, just like Dirk Wilms had. She thought this was her only option because her church was very negative about divorce and because her husband kept apologizing to her. Every time he would hit her, he would say, I'm so sorry, it won't happen again. And she would forgive him. And aren't we supposed to forgive 70 times 7? She was always taught that. She hid her bruises as best she could, but as the violence escalated, at some point, someone helped her to realize that God was calling her to freedom. It was not her job to save her husband and possibly get killed in the process. It was not right for her children to witness violence every day in the home and feel unsafe. She was this person who helped her think about this, told her that she was not breaking her marriage vows by leaving because it was her husband who started being violent who broke the marriage. And so Kimberly used her two legs to walk out the door with her kids and find safety for her and her children. So in this new space of safety, she thought a lot about this story about Dirk Wilms. And she tells her story in this chapter, and she reflects on this Dirk Willems story, and she t titles the chapter, Run, Dirk, Run. She reflects on his story, wondering whether Dirk really had to turn back to save him. Especially in this picture we see up there, there are other people on the shore. Someone else could have done the work of saving that drowning man. 
she wondered why they didn't jump in and help that man and why it was the most vulnerable person, the person who was most likely to be killed if he was caught, who had to go back and save the drowning person. We aren't always called to save everyone. Sometimes God says, let my people go. I want you to look at a picture in the hymnal. And so take your voices together and turn to page 780. Now in this new hymnal we have, we have some beautiful artwork created by different artists. 780, there's no number on the page, but you'll see 779 next to it. It's called At the Impulse of God's Love, a re-envisioning of Dirk Wilms saving his captor's life. It's by the artist Michelle Hoffer. She took the Dirk Willems painting, which we have at the front that you can see, and she focuses in on the hands between the two men and the space between them. In the hymnal worship supplement, which is a book that goes along with the hymnal, there's a paragraph by every artist who wrote, who, who put an artwork in the hymnal, and this is what she writes. The presence of God's spirit and love in Willem's radical effort is visually represented by dot work surrounding and flowing between the outstretched hands. Perhaps you, like me, were struck by the presence of all these other hands in her piece of art. The, art, the artist says, additional hands in the piece serve as a chorus that allow viewers the opportunity to enter into this moving witness of divine peace in action. The great thing about art is that everyone can look at a piece of art and see in it what they want. And this artwork strikes me a little bit differently. Those hands strike me differently. There were other people in the scene by the river when that man was drowning. They are standing safely on the shore watching the scenario play out, just like these hands are here. And I wonder what would have happened to Dirk if there were dots of connection between the hands on the shore and the drowning man. What might have happened? It's too easy for us to say that the person having the hardest time should make the biggest sacrifice. How about the other people have reached out to help? God provides deliverance to us. It is a joy to be set free. And Jesus sometimes calls us to a cross to take it up and deny ourselves. It requires so much wisdom to know when to do each of these things in our Christian life. When we talk to people who are suffering, I think it's very important to be very careful about what we say about other people's suffering. As Mennonites, perhaps we're too quick to assure people that God will be with them in their suffering and God will give you everything you need to bear this. Do we ever ask ourselves whether God might be wanting to deliver someone from suffering? Maybe God is saying, run, Dirk, run. Freedom is waiting for you. 
In some ways, I think Mennonites should be particularly good at helping people run to freedom. I have a family history of grandparents who came from the Ukraine, and we had the 100th anniversary of their arrival just this year. They fled to safety, they fled typhus, and they fled bandits and collectivization and persecution. They took their two legs and they got on a train and they came to safety. And I am so thankful for that. What they wanted was freedom and they took that road. Are we as free today to claim freedom from the things that burden us, that cause us suffering? I invite you over lunch today to reflect together if you're eating with someone or with yourself about whether you can remember a time in the past where God called you to freedom, where God said you can go forward on the easy road, and that's where I want you to go. And how did you know that was what God was calling you to do? And also think about times where God said, I want you to take the hard road. And this week, I invite you to think about how God is calling you now, this year. Is God calling you to freedom? Maybe you have been carrying a cross for a long time, and now it's time to walk away from it. Is God saying, let my people go? Or is there a situation where God is calling you to pick up a cross, to walk alongside someone who is hurting, and to enter a situation that is risky to take a hard road. How do we know? Let's pray. God, grant us the serenity to escape the danger we need not face, courage to face the suffering we must, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen.